Before I get into this episode, I have to tell you about Making Marketing. It's a weekly conversation with the people who are leading and innovating the world of marketing, be it the relevance of agencies, changing roles of the CMO, or the new way to apply data insights. Some of our recent guests include Alicia Tillman of SAP, Bob Greenberg of RGA, and Vimla Blackgupta of Equinox. Tune in on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sangul. We recently hosted the Digiday Brand Summit in Palm Springs, California, and this is a confession session. If you're not familiar with the Digiday Confession series, we trade anonymity in exchange for honesty, and it's one of our oldest ongoing series that we brought to this summit. Listen in. So I'm excited to bring Confessions to Life. Um, this is a media executive inside a holding company agency, um, and hopefully he's here. Hi, are you here? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you well. Can everybody else hear him? Yeah. All right, pretty well. Um, so I wanted to start with sort of the big picture, which is obviously you work inside an agency and we have a bunch of brands in the room. Um, what do you think kind of the biggest issue is right now when it comes to the client agency, the brand agency relationship? Um, I think the biggest growing challenge is a, a challenge around trust. So I think the, in the, the previous presentation from Adelphic, um, you know, that's one of many companies trying to probably solve for this. but. You know, most, most clients that work with agencies are trusting them with media agencies or trusting them with large sums of money, and they need to believe that that money is being shepherded and spent and measured uh, with their best interests in mind. And I think in particular with digital, the whole industry has had some transparency issues uh, stemming from an IAB report three years ago, two and a half years ago. And I think in the new age, um, agencies are really struggling to both be transparent and put the relationship first. So sometimes in the effort to do that, um, you know, they're, they're giving money back, which you know, maybe shows uh, guilt when in reality, you know, the best of intentions were in mind all along. So, yeah, overall, the, the way the transparency issue has sort of transpired, um, there's a widening trust gap. And at the same time, you know, more and more money is going into these digital uh, tactics. So, you know, that's another growing trend that's making matters worse. Let's unpack kind of the trust issue a little bit. You mentioned kind of the report that came out two and a half years ago now, uh, almost three years, that essentially said that there were wide-ranging transparency issues um, inside agencies. There were issues about kickbacks, about rebates, about discounts. Um, and a, for a lot of people in the industry, this wasn't news that this was happening, but it was staggering to see the scale at which it felt like this was happening. And a lot of clients came back and said, okay, we're going to fix this. We're going to do better at auditing our contracts. We're going to do better when it comes to working with our agencies. Um, and we are going to have to essentially take back control of a lot of these partnerships. And control has been a big theme here for the last two days or so. How much of that has actually happened? What have brands done um, to try and assert back some of that control, even as this kind of trust was being lost uh, for them with their agency partners? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in, many, in many ways, a lot has been done. A lot has been done to change accounting, to, to change um, you know, reporting, to change the line of sight that 
a brand manager kind of has over their agency and, and ultimately their spend. But I think that, you know, an Excel spreadsheet doesn't change the way someone feels. So I think in some ways we have to not be technology-centric. We need to be relationship-centric. So, you know, a lot of the scrambling to sort of put uh, modest changes in process in place, but it really hasn't changed the conversation or how people feel or sort of, you know, called out the elephant in the room and had a heart-to-heart talk. So I think that there's, there's stages, you know, there's shades of transparency. There's a lot of people trying their hardest to, you know, to, to operate a clean book of business and to, you know, stay ahead of these problems. But again, it's just, there's so much complexity and there's so much money being spent that, you know, it, it's just proving to be a much more difficult uh, solution than, you know, again, sharing a delivery report or, you know, having, um, you know, an open kimono when you're negotiating annual contracts. But at the same time, you know, clients have squeezed agencies as well. Margins keep going. Margins are yeah. getting squeezed. So where does, I mean, it's, it's a little bit interesting to me look at this. If you look at this as a relationship, which I think what you're, what you're saying it really is, it's not entirely that it's agencies messed up or brands messed up. It's a little bit of both. Yeah, I think that um, I, I think that in general, it's it's really hard to know what you're paying for. So I think that if you were to give me a million dollars digital media budget, you know, <clears throat> one way that I could spend it is I could hand it all off to a vendor and they could do everything for me, and I would just keep a percentage as a commission, and that might look exactly the same as the second way that I could spend it, where I have my very top talented people hands on you know, hands-on keyboard, you know, changing bids, changing, um, you know, changing parameters all day, every day. And I would argue that in the first case, maybe a fair commission rate is 4%. In the second case, it might be 24%. But I don't think that that nuanced difference is necessarily uh, an, open, uh, an open discussion in the industry. So typically when you're negotiating, there's a one-size-fits-all. And 24% sounds too high. So all of a sudden, you know, it went from non-transparently being 30% to transparently being 24%, and then it gets ground down to 20, and then 15, and then 12. And, you know, if you're trying to hold on to the business and you feel like your back is against the ropes, you start to really stretch yourself thin. So because clients don't trust the agencies, because agencies are trying to do whatever they can to hold on to the business, I think a lot of agencies are starting to accept rates that don't make sense. And I think clients, because there's so much complexity and it's not really clear, you know, oh, is that a hands-on, you know, white, white glove service, um, you know, manual daily optimization campaign, or is that a cited and free edit campaign? So there, there, there needs to be shades of gray. There needs to be absolute clarity around what level of service is being delivered. And I think there needs to be a conversation about the value of that, of that service. You know, everyone wants to pay less, but you can't ask for a Ferrari and then say, I only want to pay for a Toyota. So there, there's definitely some, some tension there. Um, one of the things that we've talked about quite a bit over the last two days has been, you know, a lot of people in the room here are talking about, okay, we're cutting down our agency relationships. We're going to start doing a lot or as much as we can in-house, which obviously is, has come with its own kind of problems in education. 
but they feel like it's going to be faster, it's going to be cheaper, um, and they're going to, you know, potentially not have these trust issues because these are people that work inside their own company. How much of kind of the in-housing um, wave, that, or at least the wave of interest that in-housing seems to have, is because is because of this? And where do you think that's going to shake out? Yeah, I think I think in-housing is is a trend I'm seeing happen increasingly. Um, I think it's a short-term fix, and I have a feeling it's going to prove to be a potential mistake in a few years, and here's why. You know, there, there's, there's a natural evolution to any relationship, whether it's advertising or whether it's, you know, your love life. You know, you, you pass the honeymoon phase, and, and there starts to be some tension. So in advertising, you know, year one, year two, things start off really great, but then you realize on the agency side, geez, you know, we're burning too many hours, we need to, you know, cut back on the, the team to make the, the account more profitable, and then the client side, they say, geez, we're not getting the service we used to get. You know, and all of a sudden, like, there starts to be a gap. Well, if, it, if the gap gets too far, you can always put your agency up for review. You break up, you have a pitch, and then you, you know, you have a new honeymoon phase with someone new. So if that same thing happens after you've in-housed, if you say, all right, we're going to in-house on January 1, we're going to hire all the best people, we're going to, you know, not pay any margins or markup, we're just going to pay one-to-one cost for salary, that's great, but if a year later, two years later, that team, it's not an outside agency that's trying to be more profitable, it's an internal department that's trying to be more profitable, and they start underserving, and then the same internal stakeholder says, geez, we're not getting what we used to, you can't go and fire that whole department. If anything, you know, internal politics are probably much greater than the, sim- the simplicity of, you know, severing a tie with an agency. So, you know, two, three, four, five years from now, that decision is going to prove to be a very long-term marriage commitment where you can't just break up and, you know, hit reset very easily. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. And I think overall what every brand wants, in my opinion, is best-in-class work. They want, you know, the best talent. They want, um, you know, strategic uh, plans that are evolving at the speed of the marketplace. And if you have internal teams, you know, there's not really an incentive to move at that pace. If you can't get fired, if, you, if you're not going to put the business at risk, you, know, you don't have that same threat to be right on that front edge. So if anything, it could, it could accelerate the, the speed where you know, work starts to become lackluster and that gap starts to widen. So basically, agency's biggest strength is that you can get rid of them? It's not that you can get rid of them. It's that there's a give and a take. You, know, you, you want to hire the smartest people and do the best possible work. But the fear of getting fired is what drives innovation and is what drives excellence. Mm-hmm. And you can't ever get lazy because if you do, you're just one phone call away from getting fired. Yeah. If you take that same model and you build it in-house, it takes away that threat. It takes away, you know, people are motivated by character sticks. Now there's no more stick in your hand. It, it changes the whole motivation structure. So um, obviously big room of um, mostly brand executives. Um, what is the one thing that they probably don't know that you'd be able to tell them because you're anonymous and nobody except me knows who you are. So I don't, I don't think that agencies are filled with shady people trying to you know, profit off the brands. I think that there really is a lot of good intentions and people trying their best to navigate a rapidly evolving landscape, you know, a marketplace where it's harder and harder to make the same money you could make last year you know, a more and more complex um, 
you know, set of skills and channels and partners to work with. I mean, it's just every year our, our jobs get harder and harder, and, and despite our, our good intentions, we still run into these problems. But I don't actually think there's any substance to this trust issue. I think it's a lot of feelings, and they just need to be talked about. I don't, I don't think, you know, again, two and a half years ago, sure, there may have been, you know, it was just new. It wasn't that people were shady. It was just buying digital was so new. It wasn't regulated. There wasn't a conversation about what, what should things cost. So, you know, most of the people that I work with are trying their absolute hardest to stay ahead of all of this mm-hmm. and, you know, go out of their way to, you know, charge less and, you know, over, you know, round down and all these things. And if anything, we're overcompensating and it's back to a business. So, you know, I just, I, I want people to realize that, you know, the, the culture at agencies is to have really smart, really savvy people that, you know, love that piece of innovation and love kind of being on the front wave of an evolving uh, marketplace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, any, any feeling that, you know, people are trying to cheat you or whatever, I, I don't think that there's any, um, at scale, I don't think that there's any mm-hmm. substance to that, to that feeling. Any questions for our anonymous confessor? One up here, some mic coming. So he can hear you. Oh, it's over Sorry. So you said uh, you can't fire your in-house team if you were to build a permanent team, but what do you feel about hiring freelance talent based on scope of work and uh, project-based? Um, I mean, it depends. It, it, there's, there's a lot of nuance to this. I would say I'm sure there are some situations where hiring a freelancer makes sense. Um, I'm not a fan of freelance. I think in most situations it doesn't make sense. Um, you know, on, on some of our biggest accounts, it might take someone two, three, four months to fully acclimate, fully know all the, you know, ins and outs of the account. And if that's the full duration of their contract, you've been overpaying them <laughs> the whole time while they're scaling up. And then as soon as they're at their most valuable, they're gone. And if you were to, you know, hold on to a freelancer long term, you're just frankly overpaying. You're paying above market market value. Um, so I, I think freelance is sort of a stopgap solution. Uh, maybe it's more applicable on the creative side, but I, I feel like, you know, the, the, the best strategy for always having, you know, good talent is around retention. And I think you want to hire really smart people and you train them to grow into, you know, you know, you want them to get promoted, you know, two or three times in the five years that they're with you so that that senior person isn't just senior, but they have experience with your team, your culture, your brands, you know, mm-hmm. only, only the hands-on experience you can get by being part of that team for so long. Hi. Um, so one thing, obviously, everyone's been talking about a lot the last two days is around hiring the right talent, people who can understand data and technology, but also creative. Um, I was wondering with like hiring the right people and the inherent information asymmetry that can happen between either brand and agency or demand and supply side and the so-called ad tech tax, how brands can ensure that they are not falling victim to that, whether that's hiring smart people that understand and are at the bleeding edge of technology or like how... We, we can all deal with that and like all the hands that are in the pot, there's some shady actors out there and some of it is just not knowing what you don't know. So what do brands do to get over that? Yeah, I mean, what I, what I often think about with hiring is, 
some roles are very technical and you need to hire someone solely on their technical ability. Whether it's an analytics lead, whether it's a programmatic trader, whether it's someone in ad tech, you know, that's a very technical role. And, you know, I'm, I'm making a generalization, but, you know, I'm thinking of three groups of people. One group is only technical, one group only has soft skills and isn't technical, and then there's sort of the middle group of people who can do both. If you could hire all the people who can do both, that'd be great. But there's not enough of those people in the marketplace. So I think it's important to think about, am I hiring for a role that I can get away with a technical-only person? Great, let's get a technical-only person. Do I have a role that is 100% client-facing and soft skills are paramount? All right, great, let's get someone who has soft skills, who knows just enough about the technology. But I think the intermediate role is often as you can find those hybrid people, they're critically important because they become the conduit, they become the communication flow between the technical and the kind of the big picture people or the strategists. Again, this is generalizing that not everyone can do everything, but in my experience that has been the case. So I think you just have to, you have to know the strengths and weaknesses of both the talent and the roles and kind of load balance accordingly with, again, the people who are technical, the people who are a hybrid of technical and have good people skills, and the people who only have people skills. Awesome. We're out of time, but thank you so much for calling in. Let's give him a big round of applause. Thank you all for listening. I'm Aditi Sangu. Did you like the show? Then rate us and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you can write to me or tweet at me. I'm at Aditi Sangu or Aditi at digiday.com. I'll be back soon with another episode.